Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hello. Uh, it's so good to see everybody on, I was going to say, on, on a British bring afternoon, but you're not necessarily all in Britain. And of course, our guest of honour is all the way in, where exactly are you in Australia, Simon? I'm in Melbourne, Melbourne-based. And we have Ken McDonald. Ken, you are um, where exactly? Oh, you've muted yourself. Not even self-isolating, but self-muting. <laughs> I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Do we have anybody else who is stateside just before we start? Hi, I'm in, uh, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. You know what? You are a woman of, after my own heart because you are in the town of my favorite American football team, the Cleveland Browns. Oh my goodness, you poor benighted soul. I know, I know. <laughs> I like self-flagellation. That's the reason why I support the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and but- Pat, you're, you're, you're in my hometown. That's right. We had some exchanges uh, mm-hmm. through the Facebook group. Welcome again, everybody. And this is Map Corner Live on Zoom. And this podcast has been running for just over a year now. So, um, Claire, why don't you say hello to everybody and give everybody a wave? Hello to everybody. There you go. So there's my podcasting wife, uh, Claire. And um, on our first episode, we decided that we needed to launch things with a bang. And if you're going to do that, 
and uh, fundamentally twitter is the lifeblood of your show there's only one person you can go to he's mr maps on twitter it's simon kirsten macker who's in melbourne in australia ah hi well thanks for thanks for having me again wonderful to be here if we couldn't get mccater himself on our first episode, we decided to go for you, sir. Mercator's kind of quiet on Twitter. I don't really understand why. <laughs> Simon, you're going to have to remind everybody, because I, I had a look at your Twitter feed just before we started, and you have, what, only about 170,000 followers on Twitter. But you're going to have to remind everybody, what is it exactly that you do, and why have you become so big on Twitter? Well, in my uh, professional life, I'm working as a demographer, I'm working as a, as a social analyst uh, for a small little firm, a uh, private little firm. Uh, and in, in the research that we did for clients, I constantly came across tons of interesting data and mostly maps that I really enjoyed. And they had nowhere to go. They were just uh, little, uh, little cutoffs uh, from, from my actual research that I was doing. But I thought it would be a shame to have them go to waste. That's the that's the German in me that really likes to recycle things. So I figured I must recycle them somewhere, must uh, share them somewhere. And I had some uh, unused Twitter accounts sitting there and I just started sharing maps. And it quite quickly, those four years ago, grew to uh, quite a bit of a community there that just a bunch of people that also like maps and data and probably like the, the factual uh, information on Twitter um, in their in their own Twitter feed to weigh up or even out a bit the the political anger uh, that dominates the the Twitter sphere normally. So it's, I just see myself as a bit of a counterweight to to the normal um, timelines on on Twitter, and I just consider it fun. So it started as just sharing the cutoffs, and now I'm uh, putting <laughs> time aside every day to. You know, to scan the map, uh, the web for the best and uh, most entertaining uh, bits of maps and data that are out there. Simon, are, are people sending them directly to you at this stage? Because you are like the conduit for so many other sources of maps. And I just wondered whether or not you are actively researching them still or whether you're just inundated by people saying, please share this. Yes, that's, that's, definitely, that's definitely the case. Um, but people are actually quite respectful there. They're, they're people who just um, share their own research and say, I've done this. You might find this interesting. And then they, they of course, know that uh, this then gets <laughs> ends up on many people's uh, timeline. But it's really helpful by now that uh, whenever people find maps in really bizarre publications, they let me know about it. And I think that's that's helpful. So there are a couple of main internet sources that, that most people stumble across. But by now, um, when people tell me, share maps about really bizarre linguistic specialties. So I recently shared a map about the police cars uh, across Brazil, which I find a just utterly bizarre, pointless bit of information. That's, that's just the joy of it, to, to weigh up the really uh, heavy, you know, genocide end uh, of the spectrum maps with uh, random police car maps as well. And, and, I, and I suppose your skill in an understanding of mapping has really come into its own now in the current pandemic, because one of the things which has really aided our understanding of the transmission and the spread of COVID-19 is how it's been mapped. And if you're an epidemiologist, um, that's been absolutely key and core to combating the disease. Oh, absolutely. And I do. And this is the thing where I'm, I'm, of, 
I'm of so many minds when I'm looking at the at the Corona um, crisis. This is uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a shocked citizen. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a father of of a newborn, so I'm of course very worried about uh, how things plan out in the end. There, I, I have older parents, uh, surprisingly enough, who are in the in the in the main risk group of this whole thing. So there's this, this worried citizen that, that I have. Um, you know, as a business consultant, my my uh, firm's income is, is down. So lots of things um, that, that should be worrisome, but I also really enjoy this on, on a completely bizarre level as an intellectual riddle uh, that is occurring in real time. And we're all trying to solve this. Uh, an issue where the web really showed its best side, that there are endless amounts of data scientists out there, of cartographers out there that are just very happy to put their skills to some use for the public good. And they're really pushing this. If you look at the the ways that all different kinds of newspapers that private bloggers um, produce, it's quite amazing the, the level of depth of the analysis that is out there. So it's the idea that it's a global crisis with hopelessly regionalized data, but people are carrying this together. John Hopkins of University, of course, being the number one congregator of data, but it's quite fascinating to see how people try to solve this and how over time out of these private initiatives, we saw governments taking um, you know, the lead and trying to map data more which in Australia, where, where I'm based, is still a state-based issue. And so then the states over time slowly managed to align the way they collect and publish data, which then really helped people to actually have an intelligent discussion about how the virus spreads. It follows the same roots, if you will, than normal population. You know, there's the old saying in cartography that most maps are just population maps in disguise. And in, in a sense, that's true. In a sense, we do know the entry points for people that might have been infected and how they then spread. So it's quite easy to map this out theoretically, even without data. We can just as an intellectual concept, we can have this. But after a while, once we receive data, we can map this out in a more detailed way. And now this very interestingly, of course, there are many privacy concerns, of course, with mapping healthcare data, essentially. But now, um, as of last week in Australia, we have a, a Corona app, like many Asian countries had for, for quite a while, a map that uh, you load on your phone. And it's just Bluetooth-based, so there's no, uh, there's no geospatial data transmitted. But if you've been um, in the same little area as other phones, and then somebody has tagged themselves um, as, as Corona positive, everybody who was long enough in their radius over the you know, last two weeks or whatever it is, um, actually gets a, gets a message and has to be tested. And that's a way of mapping data without the geospatial aspect, which is quite interesting because it is a map that we are creating, but it's a map of a social connection, of a social network rather than a map. And that's the that's the, the, the interesting area of, of data where general data visualization, visualization and the map overlap. What's a map really? Then other than just mapping, visualizing any kind of data, if, the, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, absolutely does make sense. So who would have actually created that app, Simon? That is the um, Australian federal government, which is an issue why lots of people 
raised um ironically enough on on facebook and and twitter uh raised serious data privacy concerns um and in an unironic manner as well but but that's an issue that is um you know that i'm just looking at this uh, as a as a data amateur if if you will or, or computer scientist amateur um but i talk to my uh techie friends and the idea is if this is a da a map or a data collection that only collects um, Bluetooth data, there's absolutely nothing of interest. Like even if you were to hand this to some um, <laughs> you know, hacker team, it's, it's not an interesting network data. It's way more interesting to have your, your social network mapped out or your, your purchasing um, behavior mapped out. You can do more interesting things with illegally acquired data than just uh, who has been in in near physical proximity with who? That's so not, not interesting. There's going to be a life for this. Like, obviously, we're collecting this right now and we're doing it all in a very short time space, but for the purposes of tracking and, and dealing with the, the coronavirus. But, you know, once it's collected, it's collected, isn't it? And as a demographer, how do you see this kind of data that's being collected right now having a, a longevity for future studies for other things beyond the current purpose? Yeah. So in, in this particular data, in terms of who has been in contact with whom, uh, since the data is not linked to anything, it's utterly worthless for academic purposes, for um, consumer research purposes. So, and, and I think that's the important thing to actually get right is the, the issue of context is I would be very, very worried if my government collected my location or my social network um outside of a pandemic mm. so i think then you have really valuable points in order to to stop an app like this but if the the physical health of it's 25 million australians and we've doing we've been doing really well so far in in, in managing the virus um if this can help to to open up a country again I'm I'm actually fully fully in favor of this, even though you're by no means supposed to take this uh, this lightly. Uh, so I do think it's very important that we have a a public discourse out there, and in particular that we hold a um, a government accountable for for data collection like this once the uh, once the pandemic is is over. You know, once there's a vaccine, which will be probably next year, God knows when. Um, but then. I really hope that everybody <laughs> deletes this this app again. Yeah. Do you have any specific uh, maps which you can show us, which you think kind of illustrate either Australia's response to COVID nineteen or the spread of the infection throughout the world? Is there anything which specifically you think this is a really good example of map or mapping? Yeah, so when, when this first popped up and I, I write a weekly column, so I'm constantly uh, looking for, for material, you know, I, I jumped at the data and uh, really tried to, tried to have good geospatial data to map. And the, the important thing is to realize how late this actually came in. From a global perspective, since data isn't aligned, it's not so interesting. You, you usually the data, the big maps that you see just show a big bubble, um, of the of the number of officially accounted for COVID nineteen cases, and that's that's somewhat interesting. 
Yeah, then you see you see this over time. You see this pop up. You know those animated maps that show the um, show the infections over the last couple of months. That's quite interesting to see. And when I look at those those maps, you know where where you see those bubbles grow at at record pace, and you see them scarily growing in Spain, in Italy. Um, you get a bit nervous, but I'm I'm also seeing the tiny spread of the virus across Africa, which in if, if you look at any world map. Africa is always the the area with the gray bits of uh, of no data mm-hmm. um, across the continent, and by now do have to be pretty certain that that the virus already sits in every country on the planet, but across Africa this will spread eventually. You know, we're talking about poorer countries with more densely um, located population. This can be absolutely crucial. You know, and I very much see from a global perspective that some Western countries probably prematurely are discussing uh, opening up, freeing Wisconsin, freeing Michigan, whatever a state is being freed right now. Um, premature discussions there. But I'm seeing the, the really big shocker is still ahead of us. Um, and this is what a world map shows me. I know if this spreads like the, the benefits of globalization, if you will, um, the big, big centers where that benefited from globalization, they already were reached. And the, the secondary hubs, the spokes of the, of the global urban network, they will be hit eventually. And that'll be significantly less harder to manage. So I'm pretty nervous about this. And this is what, what the shocks that I get when I see it a harmless looking bubble map on some uh, John Hopkins website. On, on that slightly scary note, Simon, I think we should all ah, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, t- take, take breath and, um, and have a little bit of a pause. And what I forgot to say at the start of uh, the show is we have a quiz folks. Um, uh, we have a quiz of which I've painstakingly put together through uh, my 51 years of being on on planet Earth, all of my combined knowledge of maps, mapping, flags, and the shape of countries and cities, I've thrown it all together in the last 20 minutes. Absolutely no help whatsoever. Well, (laughs) you gave me a little (laughs) bit of help, a little bit of help. So if you haven't got pencil and paper to hand, um, I suggest you go and get it now because this is kind of for fun. However, on the last episode of Map Corner, I interviewed a lovely gentleman from uh, Ordnance Survey in the United Kingdom, and they've given us not one, not two, not three, but not even four, but five um, access codes to get goodies from Ordnance Survey. I might I just say that I have here my personalised Ordnance Survey map that I got for my birthday, so uh, that normally sits on my bedroom wall. And of course, behind me is my very own personal copy of the Map of Monday as well. So uh, you can see that, let's see that behind me. We're all an honest bunch of people, right? So I'm going to trust that at the end of this quiz, when I ask you what your scores are, you're going to tell me your honest answers and the top five people will get, uh, well, I will email them the access codes and get your goodies from, from ONS. Uh, it very much is um, a trust-based thing, folks. So we're going to break the quiz up into a couple of uh, a couple parts. I'm just going to read out the last four odd questions here. In Simon's honour, the first question is about Germany. How many countries does Germany border? Is it number one, ten, number two, eight, number three, nine? And you get an extra point if you feel bold enough to answer them all. 
So I'm going to read that question for you again. You're missing out with my lovely graphics here, folks, everybody. Uh, the question is about Germany, the land of Simon's birth. How many countries does Germany border? Is it number one, 10, number two, eight, number three, nine? And you get an extra point if you reckon you can name them all. At the end of the show, we'll go over uh, the answers and uh, the correct scores. So you can win goodies from Ordnance Survey. Question two is about Brazil. How many countries border Brazil? Number one, 10. Number two, 11. Number three, nine. An extra point if you can name them all. I'll read that one again. Brazil, largest country in South America. How many countries does it border? Is it number one, 10? Number two, 11? Or three, nine? And you get an extra point if you can name them all. Right. This question is about borders. Which is the most frequently crossed controlled international boundary in the world? Stress on the word controlled here because there are open borders throughout the world. For example, the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland have an open border. You can just cross it willy-nilly. Is it number one? the United States and Mexico. Number two, China and Hong Kong. Number three, India and Bangladesh. So I'm gonna read that question again. Which is the most frequently crossed controlled international boundary in the world? Number one, US and Mexico. Number two, China and Hong Kong. Number three, India and Bangladesh. Can I just tell you how I love that Simon is clearly joining in with this and the, and the expressions of thought and concentration on his face are <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm taking notes i'm yes. taking notes you're entering into the spirit simon i love it oddities folks the next three questions are about oddities in the world which internationally recognized state or country has no land at all so which internationally recognized country has no land at all? It's recognized by the United Nations, so it's a proper state, has its own currency, has uh, diplomatic relations with over 100 other countries, but it has no physical land. What is the name of that country? Number two, how many time zones does Russia have from a world total of 24. So how many time zones are there in Russia, considering that the world has a total of 24? And then the last question is, which three countries are landlocked by just one other country? So which three countries are landlocked by just one other country? At the end of uh, this show, we'll go back and check everybody's answers. But my money's on you, Ken McDonald. You seem to be yeah. the smartest man in the room. If it's not you and Simon are going to get all of these, you can stop shaking your head and, and, and waving saying, no, 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 no. It's, it's going to be you. Simon, obviously what you do, your day job kind of encompasses the, the world of mapping. Let's imagine that COVID-19 hasn't come and ravaged the planet. Um, give us a, an example of a, a typical Simon Kirsten Macker day, you know, because as I said, when we when we first chatted just over a year ago, you're fundamentally doing what I wanted to do as a kid. So somehow you've managed to create a career out of maps. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how I, how I landed that job. Um, but so in terms of what, what I actually do for a living, 
well, these days I don't go to an office anymore. So I'm just uh, walking upstairs, which is nice and easy. But so I make uh, I make my living by writing newspaper columns, um, speaking on stage uh, at, at conferences and in, in boardrooms. This now stopped this part of my, uh, my my work. And we're now transitioning to doing way more of those presentations, at least the boardroom presentations online via webinars. And I uh, also do private consulting for, for business. And so it's always the same formula, if you will. It's mm -hmm. apply your demographic knowledge either to a specific uh, geographic area that's usually a local government area that has some, some kind of problem or it's some sort of industry, some sort of company that has their eye on the future you know, future demographics and what this might mean for the dog food industry, um, what it might mean for security services, um, emergency services, they're called. Um, you know, I'm doing I'm doing a job next week for the International Student Housing Association in, in, in Australia. And so then you just have to look at all the population forecasts that we usually had. We then cut them back, trying to understand how COVID-19 diminishes population growth, what kind of cohorts are shrinking, how much this might mean. So there's lots of just sitting in front of my computer um, and just crunching numbers. We'll have tons of Zoom calls with, with, my, with my team, not doing all the data myself. We got a little team. And then I tweet about it in between, talk to lovely podcasts um, whenever anybody is, is willing to, to have me. When Claire and I were chatting uh, this week about what we were going to do specifically on this uh, on this episode, we had an idea that everybody uh, we should ask people to do a little audio postcard. It's one of my favourite bits of, of the podcast. That might be maybe a little bit too much pressure on everyone to you know to be wax eloquently about looking out of your window uh, without giving anybody at least prior warning. But this this is an experiment of. Uh, of social isolation lockdown observation because I can see everybody of course and I, I can see everybody's kind of domestic situation so I'm looking at Brett W who I believe is from um, Australia so I'm going to unmute you how are you sir and where exactly are you in Australia yeah I'm good I'm just down the road from Simon about one hour away from Melbourne so where exactly is that yeah, I'm about a place called DeLong. It's mm -hmm. southwest of Melbourne, about one hour. Simon will know where it is. Okay, so um, for us that don't know um, where exactly you are, describe the town, uh, the place, the district where you are, sir. It was a fairly industrial place. It was where Ford had their factory in Australia, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And, yeah, a lot of people commute to Melbourne. Gotcha. All right, so well, well, welcome. The person I've actually known the longest uh, since I've been podcasting, I've been podcasting for six years, is Mary, and she's over in Toronto. And I can see her husband, Ashok. I saw her, her little son. So I've got a scene of domestic bliss over in uh, Toronto. Say hello, Ashok. Hello. Rohan is being troubled, so has been taken outside for a minute. Listen, it, it's been great seeing uh, seeing seeing your family on on, on webcam. Um, how's your isolation lockdown been for you, sir? Yeah, it's pretty good. Like we've got a lot of time together. He's full of energy, which is like you know mostly lovely. 
Now, this is, so this is our stand-in for our audio postcards. You're going to have to uh, describe exactly where you are in, in West Toronto. We live, yeah, sort of on the west side of town. We moved here from London and from, I think we live in basically the same sort of neighbourhood. We used to live in Owls Court. We're in, sort of around by Ossington now. And it's like, mm. there's a bit of stuff going on, but it's not the centre of town. Well, hello, sir, and, and welcome to Map Corner doing Zoom. Now, I'm going on to you, Rebecca, and you've got a wonderful map behind you, uh, as a metro map. So where exactly are you and what is the map that we're all looking at? Uh, so I'm in Silver Spring, Maryland, um, and the map behind me is uh, the D.C. metro system. So I actually live really close to one of one of the metro stops that's, that's just just to the north, just off this map. How old is the D.C. metro system? I don't. It's not that old, is it? I don't know for certain. And the worst part is I bought my brother a book about it for Christmas a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was started maybe the late 60s, early 70s. It's mm-hmm. just some of the stations right downtown. Um, and they're actually extending off my shoulder right here, a couple of the lines further west to go to Dulles Airport. Continuously delayed, but should be opening in the next year or so. I must admit, it's a few years since I was in in Washington, but I just totally fell in love with Washington, D.C. Utterly, the, the center of the city is incredibly beautiful, incredibly beautiful. Yeah, I was, um, I grew up in, in Indiana, so just next door to some of our Ohio visitors. Well, thank you for joining us today. Now, I, I'm going to put you down, Mr. Ken McDonald, as one of our star listeners, because you you do lot, you contribute a lot. So you're in Raleigh, uh, North Durham. Carolina, Durham. Oh, don't Durham. confuse, don't confuse Raleigh and Durham. We hate uh, that. Raleigh's very close. I'm very sorry. Yes. I'm very sorry. So you're in Durham, and you gave us a wonderful audio postcard um, a few episodes ago about the history of Raleigh and how it actually got its uh, Durham. Durham. The history of Durham. Durham. I keep doing it, Durham, <laughs> and how it got its name. Just remind us where your love of mapping started, sir. I, I guess my my earliest memory of it would be. Uh, my, my mother's family lived on Martha's Vineyard Island going back to the 17th century. They were some of the original settlers. Uh, and I used to go there in the summer and I'd spent a lot of time wandering around in, in uh, the salt marshes and, and the, uh, the swamp forest around my grandmother's house. And my grandmother, I was the last of her grandchildren and she didn't originally get that close to me. But when she noticed my wanderings, she took an interest in that, and she gave me a set of topographic maps of Martha's Vineyard with the words, if you're on foot, it's not trespassing. So I felt like I could go anywhere. And then once I got back to Cleveland, I I got uh, all the U.S. Geological Survey maps of Northeast Ohio, and I started exploring by bicycle. I'd go on huge bike rides as far down as Kent, I, I was living in North Royalton. You know where that is, Pat, uh, a, a suburb southwest of Cleveland. And, but I would go all over, uh, you know, 50-mile range of my house by bicycle. And from there, that's, I suppose it was those topo maps that, that really got me started on, on mapping. I'd personally like to thank you for all your contributions to, uh, to Map Corner and to the podcast. Catherine Rowan-Jones. Um, oh, yes. And we have to thank you because you've been an utter stalwart when it comes to posting things on Twitter. Oh, thank you. So for people that don't know exactly where High Wycombe is, it is High Wycombe where you are, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. Yeah, we're halfway between London and Oxford. Um, exactly halfway, twenty-five miles in each direction. So, High Wycombe is my adopted residence. I'm originally from Slough, where the Mars bars come from. High Wycombe is very hilly, and it only has four roads in and out in a crossroad shape. So, traffic congestion is vile. It was originally a town of mills um, and then it became important for furniture and woodworking because of the locally abundant timber and the established mills. There's about 250,000 people, I think, and we're just on the edge of the Chiltern Hills, which run just above us, um, running diagonally from southwest to northeast. And there's me saying people won't be able to do an audio postcard off the top of their heads. That that was marvellous, Miss Jones. Well done. I'm quite good at being put on the spot. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'm hopeless if I rehearse. I sound stilted. Well, do you, you have sound- a background as a tour guide, Catherine? I have limited mobility. Otherwise, it's something I might consider. Yeah. Uh, The other thing is that I used to be horrendously self-conscious about my voice because it is rough as a badger's arsehole. But thankfully, calling into Dumpty Dum has helped me get over the hump of that. And I will now speak freely without shame. It has to be said, everybody always remarks on Dumpty Dum how wonderful your voice is is and distinct. I know, I, I don't get it. It's unflattered, yeah. I've learned to live with it and love it. I'm going to say hello to Mick Rowworth. Where exactly are you, Nick? Hey, it's Nick. I'm in Janet's Park, which is a new housing estate on the edge of Bracknell, which is a new town. She's been here 12 years. It's uh, I was the first person to move in. So, And tell us a little something about Bracknell. Bracknell was a tiny village, and then it was one of the new towns... In 60s and so there's loads of new houses and now they're building more new houses around and ours is one of the new estates they built on the edge of the new town so this is the newest bit so so bracknell is a british new town is it yeah it they it was all concrete until a few years ago when they knocked it down and rebuilt it with a nice new town center so they were talking about it from when i built there but i finally managed to do it I must admit, I'm not necessarily a lover of post-war uh, British new towns, but but you are Claire. You love them. <laughs> tell us, tell us why new towns need to have their image re-established. I think the problem is most of them are overflow towns for London, so they moved people out and broke up the communities, and so they were never they never had any hearts. That's the problem with them. Um, Janet's Park was the newest bit. It used to be a turf farm with peacock farm so when i first moved to bracknell it was it was all fields here where i live now and i work or i worked when i was working in a town block that looked over Janus park so i saw it all building from flat fields to how it is now full of houses like over 600 houses so andrew where are you sir you, you've got your headset there you're looking like madonna or you're working in a call center which one is it <laughs> Neither, um, but uh, yes. Hi, hi everyone. Yeah, Andrew from uh, from Australia, from uh, from Adelaide, which is about seven hundred kilometres from Brett and and Simon. Uh, Adelaide's got a population of one point three million. I should know that because that's that's my job. It's, I'm a I'm a demographer as well. I was, I'm a with the Australian Bureau of Statistics, so that's our official statistical agency in in Australia, and I'm a demographer there. Been 
calculating populations of, of each part of Australia for, uh, for a very long time. I think Simon would, and, and maybe even Brett, would use a lot of my data uh, in, in their day-to-day uh, -day work. So wait a minute, we've got a whole load of kind of mapping professionals come onto, uh, onto our Zoom chat today. Good to see, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I feel that you guys should be actually be, be hosting this thing. And I should be just lying back and, you know, drinking a coffee and enjoying myself. And here I am sweating. So how long have you been in the industry, sir? Oh, well, 30 years. So I, I went from uni uh, to, to join the, uh, the organisation, like your ONS over there. And, uh, yeah, joined the demography area in, in 1991. So almost mm -hmm. 30 years ago now. Uh, and yeah, it's a job I love doing. Well, I suppose it puts a certain amount of pressure on you guys if you don't get all the uh, the quiz questions right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, I'm struggling with with the uh, with the borders one. I think I'm close, but yeah. All right. Well, listen, Andrew. It's Ask me about Australian borders. I'll tell you how many countries <laughs> that border Australia. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us today, sir, Pat. You're up next. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, there's never been a better time to be more or less retired. <laughs> so our lives haven't changed terribly much. We just have to walk a little farther away from our little grandchildren when we go out for a walk. Other, other than that, we're, we're doing well. And for people that don't know, uh, tell us something about uh, Cleveland. Tell us one Cleveland fact other than it's got the best football team with possibly the worst ever record? <laughs> well, uh, John D. Rockefeller was from here and um, had a great effect on this city, even though he grew to hate it. He moved to New York City and uh, didn't care for Cleveland in his uh, later years, but he uh, did, Standard Oil uh, started here and he uh, actually was behind building some, there's a part of Cleveland Heights and East Cleveland called Forest Hills that was um, kind of a, a company development of beautiful stone houses for uh, Standard Oil Company people. So he had a big effect here, even though he wound up not liking it. I think they rejected his his uh, idea for some charitable uh, uh, some charitable idea he had they they didn't like so he took his money elsewhere well more fool him uh, <laughs> i will actually get to cleveland one day when i go, when i go and see my beloved browns but when i do i will send you an email beforehand and maybe we can have a coffee beforehand i love that that'd be great yeah Paul Hahn, uh, where are you, sir? And welcome. Hi, thank you. Uh, I'm from the Netherlands, from Groningen. Uh, it's a town in the north of the Netherlands. And I'm a GIS specialist at the uh, university there. Uh, maybe Simon knows me be, uh, because of the, the part of the university I work for. That's a Geodienst. So that's uh, Rug underscore Geo uh, on Twitter. Yeah. I think you've seen some uh, tweets of ours and uh, even retweeted one of uh, several of them. So... Uh, it's uh, always nice to see. Uh, yeah, and I'm the G G GIS specialist and the geodata manager there. Welcome, sir. So tell us a little something about the town where you are. It, you know, if you can't look out your window, imagine you're looking out of your window. Um, <laughs> describe it. Make us feel like we're physically there with you. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I can look out, but it's not really a nice view. But if I look the other way, uh, on the other side of the house, I see the Martini Church. Mm -hmm. So that's the church in the center of the city. 
that's a really nice old church, 500 years old, a really big church. Well, I also see the the new building they put next to it. Uh, it's the the Forum in Groningen. Uh, it's a really big, massive uh, structure. It's uh, yeah, just revealed a couple of months ago. Yeah, the town here it has 200,000 inhabitants, I think, uh, of which 40 or 50,000 are students. So that's really uh, a lot of students, uh, and that's that's really nice about the city. Well, it sounds absolutely utterly picturesque. Uh, and thank you for joining us today, sir. So we're going to move back on to you, Simon. So we've talked to you about the industry that you work in, how you got into it, even your move to Australia. Give us some sense of the future of maps and mapping. Well, I guess the, the most important uh, change that I would have seen in, in GIS recently is that mapping went away from the cartographers. Mapping was a highly specialized art for centuries, and that's totally over. These simple GIS tools that are out there allow you, even if you have absolutely no clue of what you're doing, within a couple of hours, you can put decent maps together. If you are you know, somewhat capable to operate a machine, a computer. So that's easy enough. So this is why we saw, now this is why I come in with my Twitter maps, that the, the just this crazy explosion of people just playing with data. And if we set data free, we will just be able to harness um, this, this more, the, 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 the crowd intelligence. Um, that is out there. And just to give a quick shout out uh, to Andrew's work um, at, at the ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, is it's an insanely fantastic organization. Like our Australian census is tons. We're talking, we're talking country miles better than the American census. The American census is conducted every 10 years and asks, I think, 10 or 12 questions. We conduct the census in Australia every five years and we ask something like 65, 69 questions. The amount of uh, cross-calculations that we can do is just out of this world fantastic. And we got the next uh, census due uh, in, a, in, a, in a year's time again. That's always my biggest thing to look forward to. Every five years, I, I, you know, I'm giddy as a, as a kid in a candy shop when we, when we get new census data which is why my job in, in Australia is so much easier than it would be in Germany, for example, where we have, um, due to our ugly German history, we have very high concerns a- about data privacy, which is why we don't even conduct a census in, in, in Germany. And so running even the most basic analysis, what I now as an, as an Australian think of being basic for Germany, is, is rather difficult. And we do have to then just rely on, on survey data rather than on actual counts, actual real fixed numbers. And so I am always hoping for more data being available. And this is, of course, data being used for good. I've been, I've been working lots with um, private companies who own insane data and who don't use it yet and who also don't use it for good. I'm always thinking about all the cool things that I could be doing if I had access to, to Visa, uh, you know, the, the credit cards or MasterCard data. The, the, uh, you, could, you could potentially map out, you know, the consumer behaviors that are being mapped out. I'm sure some people do map this out, but this is data that is highly confidential and sits somewhere. But just from a research and knowledge perspective, this is where I'm coming at. And then for me, data concerns always come, come second. 
you know, we'll see lots of this in, in the future. Is this open data, more and more data comes out? Because we've, we already see this at all levels of government and at all kind of organizations that people are already collecting data. But this is my, you know, in my job as a business analyst, you go into companies and you, you understand that they have tons of data sitting there and nobody's doing anything with it. It's just you collect it because, oh, well, you know, you, you might as well collect it. But nobody is, is doing anything. And then you can come in and we are at this stage where even with just rudimentary skills and insights, and I'm, I'm uh, giving uh, up trade secrets here, if you will, um, you can achieve an awful lot because you, you don't deal with people that need detailed help. Just the first basic steps are already incredibly helpful for people. And, and I'm always hoping that now with um, people increasingly being less scared of numbers, being less scared of data, of maps, uh, there are just more people happy to have a go, happy to just access the data. I'm sure there are tons of young data analysts sitting within companies, large and small local government offices, who if they were to get their hands on the data that their employer uh, actually has, could do an awful lot of good. And so that's actually what I'm seeing happening since we had this explosion of data science degrees um, uh, popping up. So I do think that there's a big wave of insight coming at us and particularly from the not so hyper-specialized people, which of course then leads us to the point where we really need to make sure that people are data literate. I don't want everybody at school to become a programmer. That's totally unneeded. But I want everybody to be data literate, to at least somewhat understand how to read a chart, how to ask the critical questions um, about the data that uh, underlies the, the map that they are viewing. And then hopefully see this with a either very critically, maybe they just chuck the map away, or maybe they can just, you know, read between the lines or just see the faults for what they are, and then still take an insight of the of the limited uh, perfection uh, that they're looking at. Do you ever see maps and you think, where have they got that data from? Like there are sometimes when you, yeah, I see maps on the internet and you just think, oh, that that looks really interesting, and I think, well, how? How did they even know that stuff? Like, I sometimes wonder where the uh, where the source is, or whether it's just been a flight of fantasy. Yeah. Ah, and that's another that's another thing. Um, you know, you just need to spend a couple of years in academia to actually have this hammered into your head. Name your sources. Whatever you do on the internet, if you publish a map, if you publish a chart, name the source. And if we're talking about the online world, put a bloody link to the source in there. This is just, uh, this is not just courtesy. This is, is absolute a must. We, we can't forego those basics. Um, you know, sometimes in Australia, you can always point to the ABS. It was probably the ABS. And then you need to go digging in the ABS. Uh, that's, that's Australia. And of course, there's so much just weird fun data out there where we know that the um, the data basis is, is rather weird. But, you know, I've seen a map that mapped the most popular dog name across cities <laughs> and across towns, which makes sense because you need to register your, your pets. And so you can just see that uh, it's, it's just a weird little thing. I don't know if you can read deep uh, socio-economic or, or social insights into this data. I said, that's just fun. Why not yeah, have a bit of I fun? I one you uh, posted up this week, actually, which is um, the most common restaurant cuisine in each New York City zip code. 
So you know, yeah. different styles of food by uh, by postcodes in New York. Uh, and again, it, it's one of those that you look at it, it's presenting information in a really interesting way. You think it's telling you something about the place. Um, but then again. I start to think, where, where, where does that come from? And how was, how was someone known from the name of the restaurant? What kind of restaurant it is? Oh, you, you, would, you would probably just do a, and this is the data scraping thing. You, you'd yeah. go, if I wanted this question answered, you know, by zip code in, the, in, in Manhattan, what's the most common type of cuisine? I would go to Yelp, um, the, the, the restaurant review website. I would scrape the data by, uh, you know, they, they have, a, have a geolocation. They have let long coordinates. So I can just assign each restaurant to a zip code. They come qualified. Uh, they come, Yelp has it wrong. And yeah. Tiamo's isn't actually an Italian restaurant, but it's a, it's a sushi place. I don't know, maybe. I, know. I, I, I admire the people who have, presumably put that kind of analytical work in that someone's taken the time to to do that you know cross cross analysis and, and, and that's the joy that's really the big joy of of amateur um cartography of amateur data analysis is that there and, and i have this i am asking myself weird questions and i want this question answered and if you have an ability to get the data, you just then answer this question. And because you can, you might as well put it online on, on, on Reddit or just share it on Twitter just because you can. And yeah. if you don't have access to this data, then you can't. More and more commonly nowadays, you can answer weird questions, which is fun. No, and all the better for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now my computer has decided to work with a share button anyway. Uh, let's go through the missing rounds of our quiz and we can start to wind this all up. So I'm hitting share. So here we go. What number question is this? I've lost track. Um, just put flags. That's, oh. that's what it is. That's the number. The number is flags. <laughs> so um, on this, on your screen, folks, you can see the flags of four nations. Okay. They're all linked by one thing. You get a point if you know what they're linked by, and then you get an extra point for, for naming each flag. I'll let you into a little bit of a clue. They're all island nations. Oh. Okay. So what, what links them all other than island nations? That is, that is not an acceptable answer. And you get an extra point for knowing the answer in terms of the identity, sorry, of each um, island nation. Uh, what are these four countries? Again, I'm expecting big things from our mapping professionals here. Ooh. Your professional reputation demands that you do well in this quiz. Are you all presented north upwards, just to be sure? Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. That would have been no, mean. But, no, I mean no, no, that, that's a very good point, Claire, and I'm, no, I'm not that mean. So. <laughs> Upwards is north. Right. And if it helps you at all, all of these countries are in the northern hemisphere, I've only just realised. Uh, that right. helps you at all. We will come back on to these questions, folks. All righty. Name these two cities. And here, Clue, they are both Asian. Massive giveaway in one of them. The other one I was surprised by, I must admit. If uh, 
if you know your cities, you'll definitely get the one. One is remark much more easy than the other. Hence, a little bit of a clue, they're both Asian cities. Name these two mountains, and I'll put clues. There are massive clues here. So uh, obviously, we're not just looking at the mountain because a mountain can just be a mountain. But uh, where is it situated? That should give you some, some hint. Two mountains. What are they? What is the name of these two mountains? And then we're going to quickly go on to the questions which I gave you before. Germany, how many countries does it border? 10, 8, 9. Extra point if you can name them. Same question for Brazil. How many countries border Brazil? 10, 11, 9. Which is the most frequently crossed controlled international boundary in the world? Is it the USA, Mexico border, China, Hong Kong, India, or Bangladesh? And oddities. Which country has no land? Recognized by the UN, it's a proper country, folks. How many time zones does Russia have from a world total of 24? Which three countries are landlocked by just one country? There you go. The people with the best results will get some goodies from Ordnance Survey. Well, you get, at least you'll get special codes, which you then put into their website, and then you do whatever you do uh, with them. So one of the things I was going to ask you, Simon, was about um, you recently posted a, a map that was a projection with Antarctica in the middle. I was wondering about whether, uh, obviously, that, that also kind of puts Australia more in the middle. Uh, of a map where it usually sits somewhere around the edge uh, and I didn't know if you had any sort of favorite um, favorite projections and things that are you know a different way of seeing the world not just in terms of the, the projection projection but the kind of yeah. the, the locus of the map so this is a very unpopular opinion I really enjoy simple Mercator maps simply because I'm working a lot with print and if you want to show a world map you need a small Africa and a large Europe in order to make stuff visible. It's just that simple. And I'm also occasionally, do we have any New Zealanders in here? No, we don't, sadly enough. I'm also very understanding of people who cut off New Zealand from maps. Um, simply, this is again for, for, for print, because if, if you print, you have a very small uh, bit of room allocated and you just want to zoom in as much as possible on a world map to show relevant data and quite often New Zealand is not relevant for whatever you're showing so you just cut it off um, so I'm actually okay with that um, just from a from a printed newspaper um, perspective that I'm dealing with every week and yeah that's the bad confessions um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of all those bizarre beautiful um, projections that are simply they're simply nice to look at you know when this is nice uh, algorithm that somebody wrote where you actually write uh, the specific map projection around the data that you have so you'd use this for example for the journey of the ms beagle darwin's journey so you just see the journey if you, if you just imagine his his route that he took across the world and you calculate a specific map projection so that the route can be as straight as possible uh, 
So you can actually just show the rule because that's actually what you look at. It's bizarre. It's really, it really uh, hurts your brain to look at at first, but after, after a while it makes sense. And it's just a really nice map projection that you just need once for this uh, bizarre map. And of course it's, Oh, you can just show it on a, on a random, uh, on any kind of map, but it's it's yeah. just this extra little bit uh, fun and special. No, I, I've seen a really nice one where it kind of it it, it prioritizes the ocean above the land, and there's a way of sort of showing the world sort of the, where the where the oceans take prominence, and I think that's also a really interesting way yeah. of looking at the world because humans tend to live on land and therefore we've prioritized land masses over oceans. Oceans seem uh, peripheral, but actually yeah. the other way around, it can be a really interesting way. I, say, I keep forgetting his name, but there's a lovely uh, Dutch cartographer who uh, created a really fun, oh, he just creates weird fun map projections. He, he created the dolphin projection. So he just figured, okay, so if I'm a dolphin, um, I, I really am looking only at the ocean so it must be an ocean centric map and it must be flipped because i'm the dolphin so i look from the world from the bottom up which of course is kind of just a silly way of of playing around it so it's a flipped ocean centric world map and he did the same thing with a i forgot what he was calling it the worm map like how a worm would look at the world and it's just you just play with those ideas and you have a couple of um, of data points that you can that you can play with if if you create your own map projection and you know it's of course not good for anything but not at any not everything needs to be good for anything. Spot on, uh, Claire. Uh, do you have another question for, for Simon before we uh, give the answers to the quiz? No, but I'm wondering if Paul knows the name of the uh, Dutch person who made the uh, dolphin map because he looked sort of very excited at the point we mentioned that. I think Franz Block, but I'm not sure. That's it. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's it. <laughs> I think I heard it once, but yeah. Yeah. Well done. Uh, uh, you, get a, you get a bonus point for the quiz. Well earned. Well earned that bonus point. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Okay, so let's quickly go through the quiz answers. And we need, it's going to be the top five uh, scores Basically, um, you basically email me and you will uh, receive the access codes from our good friends at Ordnance Survey. So we are looking at four flags. The top one is the top left is the Seychelles. Then uh, top right is Sri Lanka. Uh, bottom left is Madagascar. And then we have the uh, Maldives. What links these four countries? The Indian Ocean. Yeah. So uh, a maximum of five points available there. These countries, top left, Simon, can you hazard a guess? Turkey. All right, it's Turkey. Looks like that, yeah. And to the, to the right, so top right, a little bit harder, that is Kazakhstan. Right. Now, bottom right, if you know anything about me, I'll try and get this proud island nation into just about everything that I do. That is Jamaica. And if you were a crow and you were flying due south, well, not quite due south, maybe south, southeast from the island of Jamaica, you'd get to the next country, which is bottom right, which is Venezuela. Okay, on to our name the city round. First city on the left, worth one point, is Tokyo. Now, the city to the right. Uh, does anybody can in, does anybody know this? Now everyone's shaking their heads. That's Beijing. Well, I guessed it was China. Do I get half a point? Uh, no. <laughs> I must admit, with that big uh, building, I ought to put this down as a, a Dubai type place. You know, it reeks of new money and thrusting. Yeah modernist uh, architecture I, I would have said dubai um okay and then on to our name that mountain round anybody want to hazard a guess wave if you think you know this one okay pat do you look like you're about to wave well uh i the one on the left is kilimanjaro i believe absolutely Yay. i have no idea of the one on the right <laughs> the one on the right is tabletop mountain in cape town oh yeah our dutch friend is nodding nodding away there so you've got that one well done sir uh Does so that table mountain count yes yeah 
Yeah, we'll give, we'll give you that. We'll give you that. That's our name that mountain round. And then Germany borders nine countries. Ah. Now, Mr. Kirsten Macker, uh, I'm going to you for you to name all the countries that Germany. Borders. I do think I have this and I've been to almost all of them. Go uh, we start with Denmark. We go mm -hmm. to the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Austria. The Czech Republic is now called Czechia. Czech, I don't know about Czechia. Czechia. And we have Poland. I don't know how many that are. Well, you said it. Nine. nine, nine. Spot on, utterly perfect. Well done. So you get one point for guessing that correctly, that it's nine. And then you get another point for getting all of the country. So a maximum of two in the Germany round. Brazil borders 10 countries. Yay, that was a lucky guess. <laughs> Does anybody want to have, can anybody rattle through the list of countries that uh, Brazil borders? Unmute your mic and go for it. Okay. Yeah, I must know. the top, right? There's like Guyana and places like that along the top. Is exactly. Right? Guyana, Suriname, and then French Guyana. Uh, doing this from, from memory. Then you've got Venezuela, Colombia. Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Paraguay. Ecuador doesn't. Ecuador doesn't. No. It, oh, you might. Ecuador doesn't. Ecuador doesn't sound right. You know what? No, it does not. You know what? You're right. Historically, it did. It seeded. Oh. You're completely right. But originally, Ecuador did. So Bolivia, Paraguay, Argentina, and Uruguay. Uruguay. Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Bolivia, Peru at five. And then up there, I'm sure up there, on top there, the small ones that I don't know. Yeah, French Guyana, <laughs> Suriname, Guyana, and uh, Venezuela and Colombia. Colombia, that's it. There you go. Then, then there you go. Yeah. But thank you for pulling me up about Ecuador. So there you go. But historically, Ecuador did border. That is impressive uh, niche knowledge there, Roy Field. Well, I'm, I love political maps. I love political maps. I know. <laughs> And then, um, which is the most frequently crossed controlled international boundary in the world? It's number one, it's the US and Mexico. Yeah. So I, must, I only discovered that today after doing a bit of a, a Google on borders and, and open borders. And of course, the EU is a massive open border. Then we have the United Kingdom and Ireland have an open border and, and like India and Nepal have an open border. There are many open borders throughout the world. Uh, but the most uh, frequently cross-controlled one is the USA and Mexico. And I've been in that border queue four times and it is not pleasant at all. Though it has to be said, the very first time I crossed over, we want to go from the United States to Mexico, easy peasy Japanesey. Right. The Mexicans are just like, come on in. That's fine. It's going the other way. The Americans are like, no, 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 no. And when the first time when I traveled from the United States to Mexico, the border guard, presuming I was going to be an African-American, I gave him my passport and he went, oh, he looked at it and he saluted and said, God save our gracious queen, God save her. Welcome to Mexico. Come on in, sir. He <laughs> <laughs> was, was a right card, as we say. And then the last question, oddities. Which country has no land? The sovereign military order of Malta. Did anybody get that? I'll just accept order of Malta there. Did anybody get that right? No? Okay. I should have known that because I did a historical study as part of my St. John Ambulance training when I was about 10, it was probably 
it was probably a part of that. I remember the bandaging better, if I'm honest. It is a weird oddity. They have an elective prince. It has no territory. I went to Malta two years ago and you see that the building, but it's not actually consecrated land of the sub uh, military order of Malta. It's very peculiar. It's a hangover from the Crusades. The the Crusaders had uh, sovereign land in the Holy Land and when they're expelled by, by the Arabs, various Christian kings gave them sovereign territory in Cyprus and then in Malta, and then Napoleon comes and kicks, kicks them out, but they still hold this diplomatic uh, status ever since. So there you go. Uh, number two, how many time, don- time zones does Russia have in a world total of 24? 11. 11 time zones in Russia. You get a point for that. Which and which are- country, Rafael, Ro- Ro- which country has the most time zones? Russia. Russia? No, Russia. technically, technically France. With oh, all of course, little... yes, with all of their yes, Pacific. They have they have thirteen. Ah, oh, that's a good one, Simon. Uh, well done, well done, sir. Actually, I almost asked a question about France and about um, which South American country does France share a border with which it would have been Tikara, Suriname or Brazil, but I thought that's a little bit tricky. But <laughs> yes, but, but well done, well done. They're all overseas uh, departments of France, not territories, aren't they? Yeah. Um, which three countries are landlocked by just one country? Lesotho, that is South Africa, San Marino, Italy, and the Vatican City, which is also Italy. I'm going to go through and ask you all individually, just unmute your microphones if you are muted. I'm going to go through and uh, starting with you, Claire, how many did you get? I got four, which is a bit dismal, isn't it, really? Surely you're missing a zero. They mean 14. Surely. No. 14. Okay, no. so Claire's got four. You won't, you, I don't think you're going to play four kids. <laughs> Simon? How many did you get, sir? I'm struggling counting. Oh, God, is that... That many, that many. (laughs) No, 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 no. I just don't understand the counting. I'm going to come back to you then, Simon. Uh, Pat, how many do you have? About, I'm not even bothering to count, but I think about four. (laughs) All right, Pat's got four, same as... Blair, I'm just just go through this list very quickly. Um, Paul, unmute yourself, sir. Uh, how many did you get? I came for twelve. Yay! Go Yay. Right. Twelve Yay. is pretty oh, good okay. so far. And <laughs> Andrew, how many did you get, sir? Uh, I, 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 I can't count either, but um, I, I got around ten or twelve. I, I was really proud. I got the Brazil one, all those countries, but the Germany one, I forgot France. Anyway, oh. so about, <laughs> so, but, All right. um, I'll say 11 for the record. Okay. It's about All 11. Right. Yep. All right, Andrew, you're on 11. And uh, Nick, how about you, sir? Yeah, I got nine. Okay, no, well, that's, you know, you're, you, you're in the line for, for some goodies so far, sir. Ken McDonald. Do we get one point per landlocked country, or is it just one if we got them all? <laughs> you know what, I'm going to, because it was one question, I think you get one if you get all three. That's a oh, pretty good point. A, I didn't a, make that clear. Eight I points. only got seven. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well done, Ken. Uh, Rebecca, how about you? I have four. Four. Four seems to be quite quite, quite a popular figure. Um, Ashok, how many do you get, sir? 
So what was the right answer for Brazil in the end? Ten, ten countries. There was still ten. Ten. Even, okay. ten, ten. So um, we got six. Six. Okie dokie. Catherine Rowan-Jones in High Wycombe. Oh, all the best people get four, Catherine. Yeah, it's a very, it's the, uh, what do you call it? The, um, is it the media, not the median, the mode. The one that occurs most often. Exactly. <laughs> and then Brett, um, down there in Australia, how many do you get, sir? I she got 16. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Round of applause. Well done, Brett. I think that is Brett. I think that was Ken. I think that was Paul and Andrew. Um, if you could email Andrew. me. And what, did I miss anybody else out? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Nick. I think you're missing Simon. I'm now giving myself, after my accounting system, I'm giving myself eight. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, how, so how many did you get, Nick? Nick, how many did you get? I got seven after deducting two for, because I got the three. It doesn't feel right that our eminent uh, person, our guest of honour, gets a prize. So I'm taking the prize oh, away I... from you, Simon, and I'm giving it to Nick. Nick, if you, <laughs> if everybody who um, has got the most amount of points would email me at royfield at gmail.com. That's R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. I will give you the access codes for OS and you can go crazy with whatever digital goodies they're offering you. I think uh, that's us just about done, folks. Uh, Claire, is there anything you'd like to say to wrap things up? Uh, well, it's just really lovely to see everyone. Um, just to reiterate, I'm still looking to be adopted by Ken McDonald, just putting that out there. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, it's, it's lovely, to, uh, lovely to see people and, uh, and feel like we've got some faces to put to the names in the Map Corner community. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep meeting over on the uh, on the Facebook group and keep listening to the podcast. Yeah, uh, I'd like to echo the the the, co- the comments and the good wishes of my podcasting wife, and I think we should all do a rousing round of applause for our guest of honor, Mr. Simon Kosamaka. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Simon. It's been thank really- you, Simon. Ah, uh, thanks for thanks for having me, everyone. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. I will put this show up in a few days' time on YouTube so you can see yourself in uh, 3D, Technicolor, all moving around. And, of course, this will be the next podcast that we put out. We'll put out just the audio version as well. Uh, nice to see you there, Mary. I can see you. Uh, can I just like the hello? Woo. Please, if you do anything at all to do with Matt Corner, go on to a podcatcher of your choice and write us a little bit of review and be kind. Be kind and uh, write, give us give us five stars and write something nice, nice and positive. Lovely seeing you all. Um, if this lockdown goes on for too much longer, you never know. We might have to do this again. I think it's a, a lovely way of getting us all together and um, having a little bit of fun. Take care. Stay safe, everybody. And uh, we'll see you all again soon if the lockdown continues. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was great. Thank you.